0: So I want to ask you to open to the book of Revelation with Bimbaren. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 20. And the theme I've chosen, I prayed about this and thought through this, what's the, the point of this passage, especially in a time like this? And I chose for my theme a prophetic vision for the church in South Africa. A prophetic vision for in South Africa. And the reason, I, I actually started out with a theme, a vision for the church in South Africa, but then I thought people are going to get confused because they're going to think of the word vision. Vision can mean two things. Many people are going to think of, oh, we need a vision, we need a plan for the future, and that's not what I mean. Sometimes people quote uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, they quote it from the King James Version, and then they quote the verse, and it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And what they think it means, they have a wrong understanding of the verse, they think it means, oh, we need this vision, this plan for the church's future. And if your church doesn't have a vision and a mission um, and a right vision and a right plan, then it's going to sink. Things are going to go south for that church. But they misunderstand the, the verse in Proverbs That verse is not about vision as we understand it in modern terms. In Afrikaans, It's about a prophetic vision. In other words, if God doesn't give dreams, if He doesn't speak in dreams and visions to His prophets, then the people of Israel will be destroyed. The people of Israel will perish because they don't have God's Word. And that's when you have a nation that becomes reckless and lawless, like South Africa is at the moment. <coughs> the correct understanding of that verse in Proverbs is like the ESV translates it, the English Standard Version, where there is no prophetic vision the people cast of restraint. Das bandelue das rukelue das Absolutely lawless because they don't have the Word of God. So the application for that verse now (coughs) is not that we need prophets in the church who have dreams and visions. If we want to solve the looting and the lawlessness, the crime and the violence in South Africa. The the, the application of the verse, verse is we need a prophetic vision of the Bible. We need the Word of God. We need to teach people the Word of God, the Gospel. And sadly, what we've done in South Africa We've just pushed the Word of God aside. We've pushed it out of our country. We've pushed it out of our lives. And then we wonder, why is South Africa reckless? Why is our country lawless? Where's the Bible in our parliament? Where's the Bible in the police force? Where's the Bible in our military? Where's the Bible in our schools? Where's the Bible in our churches, in our universities? Where's the Bible in our theological faculties? What are they teaching, pastors? Go to the University of Pretoria. Go to UNISA. Go to Stellenbosch. What are they teaching pastors? How are they training them? They're telling them Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. There's no such thing as a virgin birth. Jesus didn't do miracles. The Bible isn't the word of God. Homosexuality is fine. Transgenderism is fine. And you wonder why South Africa is in the mess it is. Where's the salt? Where's the light? How many... How many churches still preach the Bible? Even evangelical churches. They call themselves Christian churches. Where are they preaching the scriptures? Where are they expounding the Bible? And explaining the verses and applying it to the lives of their people. No, they're giving them life coaching. Motivational talks. Pep talks. They're teaching them psychology. Feel good sermons. We need the Word of God on the foreground. We need the Word of God at the center, in our churches, in the public sector, in our schools, in our universities, in our families, in our personal lives. Because if you move, if you you push the Bible aside, and if you've done so, I want to motivate you. I want to encourage you to pick up the Word of God again. Saturate yourself, dear drink yourself. Saturate yourself with the word of God and then teach it to the next generation. Where's family worship in our homes? Why don't we have family heischotzdienst, family worship, family devotions anymore? Teach your children, teach the next generation, and then apply the Bible to your own life. When it comes to business, when it comes to money matters, apply the word of God. Your love for God, your love for your neighbor, your marriage, the way you raise your children, your sexuality, your thought life. In every part of your life, apply the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Love the Scriptures. But of course, before you do any of those things, if you want the right vision, a prophetic vision, the vision of God's Word, the first thing you need to know is the one about God. Whom the Bible, about whom the Bible is about. You need to know the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Talk to Him and say, Open my eyes to see you in your word. And that's where we're moving this afternoon in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 20. Here's the prophetic vision, a prophetic vision for the church of South Africa. Revelation 1 verse 9 I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Right there for the things that you have seen. Those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So first of all, we're going to look at the circumstances. That's in verse 9. So this week, I called several brothers um, in the ministry in KwaZulu-Natal, three of them to be exact, and I, I asked them how things are going, what's happening, how can we help from, from our side as Kenton Park Baptist Church. And at least two of the brothers said, it's going really bad. Uh, the one brother said, we can't get to the shops. We don't have any food. The only food we have left, uh, he said, my wife is rationing us now. And any frozen meals we share with people in our church, we used to help several people from the church funds. We can help no one anymore. Um, and so what we have is what's in the house. And for four nights, we were really scared. We heard gunfire. They come through the sugar cane to try and come into town. But we've got people in watch posts, and you hear gun, gunfire. And please pray that we will not be afraid and pray that God would supply our needs and then I said, "Can we help with money?" And he said, "It's not going to really, really, it's not going to help at this stage because even if we have money, we can't buy food. There's no fuel." And the other brother said that their church is really like an, a situation in the book of Acts, Handlinger, where they, the people, are sharing among one another. Oh, what do you have? This guy has milk. This guy has eggs, and you know, and so they share. Those who have much share with those who have uh, little or none." And he also said, "There's no fuel." And then another brother, I called him, he's in Northern Natal. Uh, One brother was in in Durban, Hillcrest, and the other brother in Scotborough. And then the brother in Freyheit, in Northern Natal, said that things are right there. They are trying to get into town, but the community is standing together. But it's quite hard because you can only buy 15 items at the shop. So that's also quite tough, but at that stage they were still doing all right. And you know, those brothers and the other brothers and sisters in it are not only Christians, even unbelievers, but especially those brothers and sisters, what they need and what we need in these bad circumstances, these difficult times, is we need a vision of Jesus. We need a vision of Christ. And that's what the Apostle John needed. Uh, John, in verse 9 you saw, he's on the island called Patmos. So what's he doing on an island? It's about 40 kilometers west of, of modern-day Turkey, off the coast of Turkey, this island. Why is he on the island? He's on the island because Roman, the Roman Empire, they would send criminals to that island. It's like, like Robben Island in the old South Africa. They would send criminals there. And why is John there? John is there because he's regarded as a criminal for what? For preaching the Word of God and for testifying about Jesus and saying Jesus is Lord. Because if you call Jesus Lord and you call Jesus King, that's a dangerous thing in the Roman Empire. It's a dangerous thing because as soon as you say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, it's, they see it as you standing up against the emperor, against Caesar. And that's what we see in verse 9. I was in the island, end of the verse, called Patmos on the count of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is suffering. That's why they crucified Jesus, because he's the king of the Jews. That's standing up against Caesar. That's why they, they persecuted Jason, and they tried to get a hold of the apostle Paul in Acts 17 in Thessalonica, because they said, these Jews say there's another king, Jesus. They're standing up against Caesar. Anyway, so John's in this trouble, and John now reminds the churches, you're not suffering alone. I'm suffering with you. I'm with you. I'm your brother in this tribulation, in this difficult time. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. It's like a black pastor in in, uh, Joburg. This week I read a a devotional written by a man by whom I was discipled, an older pastor. And he had called this black brother on the phone and said, so there's, there's been looting in your area. It's really bad. Um, how things going and can we help in some way they wanted to help in some way and this black pastor said another brother in Joburg called me and said come out of the area come and stay with us it's a safe haven it's safer here than it is at your place and this pastor started crying on the phone the black pastor and he cried so much he couldn't continue the conversation he had to put down the phone. And through his tears, he just said these words. He said, I can't accept the offer. Thank you very much, but I can't accept the offer. How can I leave my people to suffer alone? And that's exactly what John is saying here. How can I leave you to suffer alone? And, And that's my problem. That's my problem too. My problem, that's a problem I have with immigration. I'm not saying it's wrong for Christians to immigrate, to leave the country. But for me as a pastor, I've thought about, I've had this this thought of immigration at times. But I think, how can I leave this country? Especially in a time like this. How can I as a pastor leave and there are many people in these pews sitting here on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. They cannot leave the country. Especially older people or poorer people. How can I go to a first world country and sit there and live at ease and in luxury, and I say to the people, let's say I go to Australia, and I say to the people, oh, or New Zealand, you should pray for South Africa, they need missionaries. But I just left the country, leaving the sheep of the Lord, fleeing to another country. So like the Apostle John, I am with you. In this. I'm with you. My brothers in KZN. They are with their people in the suffering. Verse 9: I'm your brother. I'm your partner in the tribulation. Now I don't believe, I know some Christians believe that, and you're free to believe that if you want, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's going to be a rapture, and Jesus is going to just take us away so that we don't go through suffering and tribulation, so we can escape the tribulation. John says in verse 9, I'm your brother, I'm your partner in the tribulation. Listen, suffering is part of the Christian life. That's part of what we've been called to as Christians. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. To this you have been called, because Christ has left you an example. Christ has also suffered for you that you might follow in His steps. We will follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If they persecuted the Master, they will persecute us. If the Master suffered, then we will suffer. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but we can rejoice because He has overcome the world. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom, Acts 14, verse 22. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, to this you have been destined, to this suffering. This is part of the Christian life. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will suffer. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will suffer. The path of Jesus in this world was not strewn with rose petals, with flowers. It was strewn as besai. It was strewn with thorns. And so your and my path as Christians will not be easy. Where do the footsteps of Jesus lead? you want to follow Jesus? Where do the footsteps of Jesus lead? They lead to the cross before they lead to the throne. And so if we follow Jesus, you take up your cross... You deny yourself. You take up your cross daily and you follow Christ. It's the cross before the crown. And yet, in another sense, even though we suffer, we already share in the kingdom. Verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. We share in the kingdom. We are seated already in in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, says Ephesians 2, verse 6. We share in in the kingdom through the new birth, weder geboorte, by being born again. Because Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you cannot see the kingdom. So now we've already entered that kingdom through the new birth. We are not citizens of South Africa that's being looted at the moment. We are not citizens of this world. We are in the world But we're not of the world. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem. We are citizens of heaven, says Philippians 3 verse 20. That's your real home, is the heavenly city according to Hebrews 11 from verse 13 to 16. Hebrews 13 verse 14. So then if you lose your factory, you lose your shop, you lose your shopping mall, you lose your job, you lose maybe your health through COVID, you lose your car, you lose your... Your house may be looted. Maybe you lose you, loo- you lose your life. But even if you lose all of that, your real home, you have a home in heaven, no one can take that from you. That's what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 34. That even when your houses were plund- your houses were plundered, your properties were plundered, you were looted, it says. Why, why did you accept that plundering with joy, the losing of your property? Because you knew that you had um, an inheritance in heaven. Arfinis in the Yemel. You have an inheritance in heaven that cannot be taken from you. Like John Newton. John Newton spoke to a woman. Her house had just burnt down, it burned to the ground. And John Newton went to her and said, to her, Sister, I have come to congratulate you. And she was shocked. She said, Congratulate me. I just lost everything and you congratulate me for losing my property? And he said, No, I'm congratulating you (coughs) because you have a property in heaven. You have a house in heaven that can never be taken from you. You can never lose that. (coughs) And then through tears, John Newton saw a smile on the woman's face. So let that thought help you to persevere, to remain steadfast, to, to endure, um, to <coughs> Excuse me. Patiently, to patiently endure through all of these trials and sufferings, verse nine. "I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation of the kingdom, and the patient endurance, geduldig volhard, late soulmate, that are in Jesus." So, so please, I want to spur you on, I want, to, I want to encourage you, I want to motivate you to continue patiently, to endure patiently. Do not be like people. I hear this from my, my, my colleagues and from my friends in the ministry. It happens in all the churches it happens it happens in our church. Many people who were faithful before COVID came, they are unfaithful now. And I know you can't be here now because we've got a lockdown. But even when the lockdowns lift, they simply do not come. They've stopped coming to church. They've stopped coming to hear the word of God because it's, it's very easy to just be laid back and sit back and if you want to watch it online and not even, not even. You just stay away. Don't be like those people you endure, you persevere in the Lord, you keep on serving the Lord. Don't become lax, don't become lazy and sit back in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with His people, His body. Don't give yourself to the world like many have done because you see, tribulation and suffering will show who you really are. That will show where your heart is. Is it with Christ or with the world? So keep on following Jesus. Keep on serving Jesus. Keep on believing in Jesus, even if you become sick, even if you lo- lose a loved one, not only through COVID, in other ways, your loved ones die, or when chaos just takes over in South Africa, you keep on following Jesus. Like verse nine says, "You endure, endure patiently. You do that for Jesus. You do that for Jesus. You follow Jesus patiently and faithfully. The same Jesus that patiently endured for you. He did not turn back, but He went all the way to the cross and He laid down His life for you and me. And what can, this is the least we can do by patiently enduring and trusting Him through these times. And ask the Lord in prayer, Lord, help me to persevere in this way. Rather than just praying, Lord, please remove COVID, please heal all the sick people, and please stop the looters. It's not wrong to pray that, but don't make that your first prayer. Make your first prayer, Lord, help me to endure, even if you don't heal me, even if my loved one is not healed, and he or she dies, and even if the looting continues. Number two, the vision, verse 10 to 16. Douglas Wilson, I quite like his his writings and his teaching. Uh, Douglas Wilson is an American Presbyterian preacher and theologian. And sitting around the dinner table with his family, he asks the children the question, what is the Bible about? What's the point of the whole Bible? And this you can remember. I think it's quite good. This is the point of the whole Bible. Kill the dragon and get the girl. Christ coming and trampling on Satan, destroying the power of evil that came into the world through Satan and in the sin of Adam and Eve, kill the dragon and get the girl. Christ comes and He saves His bride, the church. And it's not, it's not quite different in the final book of the Bible, in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. That's the point of the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible is not about... Uh, all these weird visions and animals with many heads and many horns and so on revelation is about Jesus giving the final blow destroying the dragon destroying satan and saving his bride and making a new heavens and a new earth where we live with him forever and ever and that is why the very first vision in the book of the Revela- in the book of revelation is not Um, a vision of a dragon, or the Antichrist, the triple six, the false prophet, Armageddon, the thousand year reign of peace. Now the very first vision is about Jesus. It's all about Him. And so what Jesus wants to show the Apostle John, (coughs) He wants to show John that's what the whole book is about. This vision I'm giving you. And by the way, it's not revelations. It's revelation. This is one revelation given on one day. On one Sunday to the Apostle John. And Jesus wants John to understand that's what the book is about. It's about me. It's about my glory, my rule, my reign, my victory over the enemy, over the evil one, and the restoration of all things. That's what the whole Bible is about. All about Christ. That's what all of history is about. It's all about Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who reveals the Father to us. And then we worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus saving a people for himself. And, he, and John, John gets this. John understands this when the Holy Spirit comes. And John is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Holy Spirit gives him this vision of the glorified Christ, of the exalted Christ, in verse 10. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet, and so on. So this happened on, happens on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is Sunday. It's the day when Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus defeated death. And it's the day when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning and He separates that day unto Himself. A day where His people will gather and worship Him. Where we get together to worship Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, they got Together to break bread, and then Paul preached. Or in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of the week when you gather. And so the believers gathered on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. And by the way, some people think no, Lord's Day, uh, it refers to Saturday, not Sunday. No, it doesn't. Ignatius of Antioch, he was born in the year 35 AD. So he's, he was born like two years after Jesus died on the cross. And Ignatius. He says the Lord's Day is Sunday when Christ rose, and this is the day we gather, no longer on the seventh day, Sabbath, Saturday, but on the Lord's Day we gather to worship Christ. So, what's the point? The point is, if Jesus took the trouble to meet with the Apostle John on the Lord's Day, John couldn't be with the believers. He's in prison on an island. Well, at least the island is the prison. So, So John couldn't be with the believers. Jesus takes the trouble to meet with John to give him this glorious vision then you should not look for excuses to stay away from the gathering of the believers on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, when believers gather. You are not on an island. You are not a prisoner on an island. You can be here when lockdown has passed. Now you can gather with believers, with the saints. So come. Do not stay away with, without good reason. Don't be so afraid, afraid of coronavirus you're so afraid of covid you're so afraid of catching a cold and dying that you miss the blessing that the lord wants to give you this blessing where he meets with john on the lord's day he shows him the glorious vision and you especially need this in a time like this you especially we need this in this is for a time like like now Like the Apostle John, you need to hear the voice of Jesus. You see John, he hears the voice of Jesus in verse 10. It's like a trumpet behind him. And obviously the sound of a trumpet, why is it like a trumpet? Because the trumpet right through the Old Testament, even in the New, the trumpet would remind him of the kingship of Christ because trumpets blew when a king was inaugurated, when a new king was, uh, came into power. And then, obviously, the feasts of Israel. So it would remind him of the heavenly feast, the trumpet sound. It would remind him of the coming of the King. When Jesus returns, there will be a trumpet, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then God's victory over the enemy. When there was war, there were trumpets. And then when God gave instructions, He gave the Ten Commandments, there were trumpets. So John heard this voice. All these things would be flashing through his mind. And then the voice tells him in verse 11, Write all these things in a scroll, a all, and that would be the scroll, the whole book of Revelation. So he has to write down these visions, and then the whole book, this is important, the whole book was written to the seven churches, not just chapter 2 and 3. The whole book, you read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, all these things, this vision, write these things for the churches. In our text, verse 11, write to the seven churches. And that's important because some people just think, oh, the book of Revelation is for 2,000 years into the future. It didn't mean anything for them. No, the whole book meant something for them. They understood and could apply to their lives. These churches lay in the western part of modern-day Turkey in almost like a horseshoe shape these cities, if you map them out. And so John then turns around in verse 12 to see, who's this who's talking? Who's this voice? And he turns around and he sees someone like the Son of Man standing standing between these seven lampstands, golden lampstands in verse 12. Now, when he turns around and he sees someone like a Son of Man Remember, Jesus used that title of himself all the time in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He calls himself the Son of Man. And that shows John that Jesus is truly man. That reminds him Jesus is truly man. He is, he's from the descendants of Adam in Luke 3. You can read that. And something else it reminds him of, Jesus is still a man in heaven now, right now. Jesus is still a man. When Stephen died, just before Stephen died, he saw the heavens opened. Acts chapter 7 at the end, and he says, I see the Son of Man, Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is still a man. It says that God will judge the world through a man whom He appointed and He gave evidence of this by raising Him from the dead, Acts 16 verse 31. And Jesus will remain a man forever. Jesus will always be a man. He's God and man because He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He's man and He's God. He can bring God and man together because He's both. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. He's God and man. (coughs) But, Son of man refers more to the, it's, it's more. it refers to more than just the fact that he is human. That title, Son of Man, comes from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, who is seated on the throne, and he receives a kingdom, and he receives the glory of his Father. He receives the kingdom, and an eternal kingdom, where Christ himself, the Son of Man, will rule over all these kingdoms forever and ever. It comes from Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where we see this one like a man, seated on a throne, a glorious throne. He rules as king. So when when it calls Jesus the Son of Man, it doesn't just mean that He's a man. It also means from those Old Testament passages, He's the Son of God. He's a divine being. He's God himself. He's the priest king of Zechariah 6 verse 13. He's the priest king. How do we know that? Because verse 13 says, He saw the Son of Man and he had a long robe, a long cleat, and then a golden sash, across his shoulders, across his chest. So that's the clothes of a king. That's the robe of, a, of the high priest. <clears throat> so Jesus is a priest, a priestly king. <coughs> and as king, he rules over all. As king, he protects us against the enemy. He conquers the enemy so that no demon, so that no being in heaven or on earth, no human can ever harm us in the final sense of the word. Yes, we can be hurt. Yes, we can be shot. Yes, we can be killed. Yes, we can die. But who's going to separate you from the love of God? Jesus is your King. He will protect me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom, says 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. Jesus rules over all, over every throne, every power and authority and throne and dominion. Rulers in the heavenly places. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. So He's our King with a long robe and the golden sash. He's our priest with a long robe and the golden sash. Our priest who died for our sins. Our priest who prays for us right now. He prays for us always. He intercedes with the Father. He prays for His people. And especially in these difficult circumstances, He's praying for His church. Hebrews 7, verse 25. And then it says in verse 14, he he had hair white like snow, white like wool. That's exactly what you read in Daniel 7, verse 9. The ancient of days, his hair white like wool. And so here you have Jesus Christ, hair like snow and like wool, pointing to his wisdom, pointing to his purity, his holiness. Isaiah 1 verse 18 speaks of us being cleansed of our sins so that we will be white like snow and like wool. And so we have Jesus, the pure one, the holy one. We have Jesus, His eyes like a flaming fire in verse 40, 14, searching the hearts, searching the minds, searching our motives. Chapter 2, verse 18. We read of Jesus' eyes like a flame of fire. And then you go on to verse 23 in chapter 2. It says, I am He who searches mind and heart. Jesus sees all things. John 2, verse 24. Jesus didn't have any, he he didn't need anyone to testify to what is in the heart of man because Jesus himself knew everyone. He knows every person, he knows every heart. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of him, the eyes of the Lord that run to and fro throughout the earth to see whose heart is upright toward Him. Hebrews 4 verse 13 teaches us that nothing in all creation is hidden from the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. hier. Jesus sees everything. Even our secret deeds He will bring out on the day of judgment. Romans 2 verse 16. Acts 1 verse 24. Lord, You who know the hearts of everyone, His feet are like burnished bronze verse 15 is just just koper wat gepoleer is koper wat uit 'n smelt oond kom wat gelouter is You read of this in the... Just read Daniel 10 also. You see all these same images. A vision that Daniel has. Similar vision. So he's got these feet of burnished bronze. And obviously it's referring to his judgment where Psalm 110, Christ will have all his enemies under his feet. He will trample his enemies. He will crush his enemies. It says in Revelation 14 and Revelation 19 that their blood will spatter upon and it will... uh, uh, he's, he's, He's... robe will be soaked in the blood of his enemies he crushes them under his feet his voice is like mighty waters like many waters in verse 15 it's like the waves crashing on the rocks against the isle of patmos and that is exactly what you read of God in Ezekiel 43, verse 2. It speaks of God coming like mighty waters, like many waters, like the roaring of, of rushing waters. So is God, and here we see so is Jesus. The point John is making, Jesus is God. His mighty voice, His, his voice like a multitude, His voice like thunder in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, and Job 3, 37 and Psalm 29. In his right hand, verse 16, we read of seven stars. I'll explain that later on. From his mouth, verse 16, comes a sharp two-edged sword. Obviously, that's his word. What what comes from your mouth but your words? And so from the mouth of Jesus comes the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of joints and marrow, of soul and of spirit, says Hebrews 4, verse 12. It cuts open the heart. It shows... The motives it shows the intents of the heart, it shows your thoughts, it shows your sin. It's open before the eyes of Jesus Christ, his sun shining, his face shining like the sun, verse 16, in full strength. Or Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, his face like lightning. You look at the face of Jesus, John sees this vision the sun shining in full strength, it'll blind you. Like the Apostle Paul, when he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was blind for three days. Like Matthew 17, verse 2, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where his face shines like the sun. I do not understand how any looter, how any criminal in South Africa, how any sinner in this country can think you can hide from the face of Jesus Christ. You cannot Just slip away and dodge the face of Jesus and dodge his sight like you dodge a CCTV camera. Jesus is not like the eye of Sauron in the Lord of the Rings that sees most things. No, Jesus sees everything. He knows everything. He is the Holy One. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I know the criminals in this country, they do not care for this sermon this evening. They probably won't even find it somewhere on the internet. They only care for their crimes they do in secret. You will be found out by Jesus. You will not escape the all-seeing eye of the Lord of glory, creator of heaven and earth. You will give an account to God. Jesus is the omnipotent one. Jesus is the all powerful one, the almighty one. He has authority to cast into hell, to judge sinners. And that goes whether you loot shops and some of you smirking, looking at the looters and the criminals, and you think you will escape. You don't steal from shops. You don't burn down shopping malls, but you steal from your parents. You will be judged. Proverbs 28 verse 24. He who steals from his parents and says that's nothing, you are just like anyone else who steals. You're a common thief. You're a destroyer. The only way you are going to escape the judgment of Almighty God, of the all-seeing Christ, is if you flee to Him. The only way to flee from God is to flee to God. The only way you're going to escape judgment is if you come with remorse and with sorrow for your sin, you plead for grace, you plead for mercy, you repent of your sin, and you trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, then the Father will accept the death of Jesus in your place and you'll be forgiven. You'll escape judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Number 3, the assurance, the forsaking, the assurance. That's in verse 17 to 20. Now, many people have said, and it's a very popular thing today, people write books and they speak at seminars and men's and women's breakfasts, and they make a lot of money out of this, make DVDs, and they're the top sellers in Christian bookstores. Many people nowadays say they had this vision of Jesus, they went to heaven, Jesus appeared to them, Jesus talked to them, they had a cup of tea with Jesus, Jesus sat on the uh, in the bathroom right there on the bath's edge while the man was shaving and Jesus chats with him every morning or Jesus appears in his office at work and talks to him where he wakes up at night Jesus appears to him or he went to heaven and just lay on the grass with Jesus had a picnic and just had a talk with Jesus I don't believe that and maybe you do And I've got a lot to say about that, but I'm going to go off the point. I'm going to go on a bunny trail if I do that. All I want to say is I don't believe that. Because when Jesus appeared to people in the Bible, they fell on their faces. They fell down like people who were dead. It's not talking to Jesus, chatting to Jesus, having a cup of tea, having a picnic, talking to the Father. That is nonsense. That is almost blasphemous. And I would venture to say it is blasphemous. Because if the risen Christ, if the glorified Christ appears to you, you will shudder in your sandals. You won't even be able to stand. You'll fall on your face before this glorious God. And you see it in Scripture. Isaiah, when he sees Christ on the throne, Isaiah becomes like one who is afraid. He's one who shudders. He trembles before the glorious Christ. And he says, woe to me, I am undone. You see Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, he falls down on his face before Christ. You see Daniel in Daniel 10, where Daniel has no strength left, he falls down before Christ. You see Matthew 17, you see Peter, James and John on the mountain with Jesus, they fall on their faces. You see the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He falls on his face. He's blind for three days. He doesn't even eat. He has no appetite. And that's exactly what John does in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then Jesus puts his right hand on John, verse 17, and he comforts him. He says, do not be afraid. He did the same with Daniel. did the same with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus says that, God says that more than a hundred times in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not fear. And He says the same to you this evening. Do not be afraid. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Isaiah 43 also. Do not fear. Luke chapter 12. Do not fear. Again and again. Jesus said that. Do not fear COVID. Do not fear death. Do not fear the EFF. Do not fear Julius Malema. Do not fear the looters. Do not fear the criminals. Do not fear Christians in countries where they persecuted, where they killed for their faith. Do not fear. Do not fear Satan. Do not fear anyone. Do not be afraid. Yes, we should be in reverence, stand in reverence and in awe. Of Christ, respect him and fear him, but not in the sense that you're so afraid you think he's going to destroy you or harm you. If you trust in Jesus, verse 17, do not fear. Do not be afraid. If you believe in Jesus, if you place your faith in Jesus, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you are safe. What then shall we say of all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do not fear. And just like God in Isaiah 41 verse 4, God speaks of Himself and says, I am the first, I am He, and I am the last. There is no other. Isaiah 44 verse 6, I am the first and the last. 48 verse 12, I am the first and the last, says the Lord. And then Jesus Look at this, Jesus, in verse 17 of Revelation 1, I am the first and the last. Revelation twenty two thirteen. 13, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says, the Lord God, who is and who was and he is to come, the Almighty. So who is Jesus then? If he's the first and the last, he's God Almighty. And it's this Jesus, the first and the last, creation begins. All things begin in Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ. He's the end of all things. He's the end goal of all things. Everything exists. Everything was created for Jesus and for His glory. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Jesus is the living one, verse 18. And then it goes on in verse 18, the living one. Why? He's the one who died. Yes, He's the living one. He's the source of all life. I'm the resurrection of the, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. But He's also the living one because He died for our sins. He rose again and He lives forevermore in the power of an indestructible life. Christ who can never die again, Romans 6 verse 9. He has the keys of death in Hades. he do it and he do it He's got the keys of death in Hades. Listen, the day of your death is not given to chance. The day of your death, it's not under the power of COVID. It's not under the power of Satan. It's not under the power of cancer. It's not under the power of luck. It's not under the power of looters, of criminals. It's not under the power of anything or anyone else. The day of your death is in the power and the control of Jesus Christ. He has set a border, He has drawn the lines. Job 14, verse 5 says, God has determined a day, He's determined the day and the month when you will die. He's determined the way you will die. He's determined when it's when you will die, how you will die, where you will die. is all under the control of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said, it cannot be any other than that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus had determined He would die in Jerusalem. He, even the very hour was determined. That's why they couldn't catch Jesus before. He said His hour had not yet come. Jeremiah 15, verse verse 2 and 3. Those who are for pestilence, they will die through pestilence. Those who will die for the sword, they will die through sword. Those who are for famine will die through famine. It's determined in the eternal decrees of God. Christ has the key. He has the keys of death and Hades. He's in control of death, and if you are not saved, you have reason to fear death because that's only the beginning. You will be cast into hell where the second death is. Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15. Revelation 21, verse 8. The lake of fire where you will always die and never be. So let that sink in to your ears and repent of your sins. If you're a Christian, you have no reason to fear death because the keys of death in Hades belong to Jesus. You do not need to fear. Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15, you used to be afraid. You used to have the slavish fear of death. You no longer need to fear. Jesus will bring you safely through the death The river of death. And He will bring you safely into His presence. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise, absent from the body, present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. I would... I'm drawn between the two. Should I stay with the Philippians? Should I go to Jesus? I want to be with Christ. It is far better. But on your account, I'll stay here because I have to still serve you. So so there's only one of two things. Either you here or you in the body here or you're absent from the body and you're with the Lord. Until then, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. And even then, he's in control forever and ever. Control of He's in control of death right now. And when Jesus returns, He will raise your body from the grave. He will give you a glorified body because He has the keys of death and Hades. He can turn it around and He has. He's in control of death. He's in control of the future. Verse 19, right there for the things that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. God works everything, everything, according to the counsel of His will. Nothing is outside of His control. Ephesians 1 verse 11, God works all things according to the counsel of His will. And the same in Isaiah 46 verse 9 and 10. Speaks of God, there's no other, and so on. And then it says in verse 10, God sees the end from the beginning. He says, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. And many other verses like that that I have the references here. So don't be afraid of the future. Don't fear the future. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Will we be persecuted in South Africa? Will the Paputa Amendment Bill pass. Will that law be passed and we'll be in trouble if we so as they say, discriminate against people because Christianity is discriminatory because we say not all will go to heaven. Christ is the only way, only if you turn to Christ and many other things like that. What what if I become sick? What if I catch COVID? What if I land in hospital? What if I land in hospital again? My medical aid won't pay. What if someone in my family dies of COVID or something else? What if we have this terrible government which we already have? What if there's no food? We get looted. What if there's no fuel? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have money? What if, what if, what if Christ is in control? You think Jesus can only care for you when things go well? Jesus is in control of the future, verse 19. And then finally, you should also find comfort in the fact that Jesus is in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of the church, verse 20. the mystery of the seven stars and the seven lampstands, The seven lampstands in the verse are the seven churches. What did he say in verse 13? He saw Jesus in the midst of the lampstands. Jesus is right in the midst of his people. Chapter 2, verse 1. He speaks of Jesus. The one who spoke was the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is the one who is with his church. Verse 20 says, the seven stars are in his right hand. The seven stars, says, are the seven angels. The Greek word angel just means messenger. I don't think that's holy angels because chapter 2, verse 1, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. 2, verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. The Bible never says that every church has got its own guardian angel. The word angel there means messenger. It's used like that other places in the New Testament as well. So what it means is the pastor of the church, the one who needs to read the letter to the church, one of the elders. (coughs) So they're in his right hand. Rulf, Chris, Ivor, you are in the right hand of Jesus. He holds us. He walks among the, the, the lampstands. He's with his church. He's with his people. Now, our, our duty as church is to shine the light. If we're the lampstands, We should be the light of the world, like Jesus told us to be. Shine a light in this world. And if the pastors are the seven stars, we should shine like stars and teach the people to do the same. Like Daniel 12 verse 3 or Philippians 2 verse 15, shine as lights in the world, shine as stars. And that's especially needed in a time like this. We need this. I want to challenge you and ask you, coming Saturday... We need to get back into the streets. We can't go to mess yet, as far as I understand, because they're still under lockdown. But we need to retake our street evangelism. We need to seek for opportunities and look, uh, pray for opportunities and take the opportunities to share the gospel with people. We need to live holy lives. Send, send this, this very link. WhatsApp it to people. Send it to people. Share it on Facebook. Get the word out. Get the gospel out. We need to shine the light. We are the seven golden lampstands. People need to see in our lives, in our holy lives, and through the testimony of Jesus, they need to see the light of Jesus. We cannot remain quiet. I fear that lockdowns, it's it's like it's stifling and muffling our voice. I know it's going out online. But we need more. We need more. We cannot remain quiet. Kenton Park Baptist Church, we cannot be quiet if we have the answer. We have the only hope that the world needs in these times. And especially in times everyone around people, they're getting sick, people are anxious, people are dying, and we're just zipping our lips. That's like going to House and home, or going to Mr. Price's home, and you buy a new lamp and you put it under a bucket. Heavenly Father, thank you for the prophetic vision that the Apostle John saw and that you have shown us tonight. Lord, we are not powerless. Help us to not, to, uh, not to have a defeatist attitude. We can't do this. We can't go forward. We're too weak. There's a lockdown. There's COVID. There are looters. And there's crime and there's corruption. That We will go forward with the light of Jesus Christ into this world. Fearless. Bold. And Lord, even coming Saturday, whoever is able to join and others who don't have the energy to walk that far anymore, but can pray for us. And opportunities we have at work, those who aren't called to be street evangelists, but who evangelize at work or evangelize in their families, evangelize their children, evangelize their grandchildren, help us to share the the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to a hopeless world, and even in a country where the once biggest church in this country has turned its back on you, and has fallen into false teaching and denying the truth of the gospel. And I pray that you would protect us, that we will not think we stand, for you warn us that if we think we stand, we should take heed lest we fall. So I pray that you would give us grace to continue in the truth, continue in the gospel, continue in the faith, and share the good news of Jesus far and wide. And we pray that you would send a revival to this land, not a man-made thing, not something where we psych up people emotionally, but a true work of the Spirit of God, where Jesus Christ is glorified in this land. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, and the Lord be gracious to you. Amen.